Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And this is Track Walking. So, things have quieted down somewhat after sort of. Midwest Festival. Um, I was just sharing with Seth pre-show. Uh, I discovered what happened to my car in race four. And I am not a fan of ACT clutches. <laughs> anymore basically can you really blame it on them like yeah 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 okay. all right yeah cool cool i'm not i'm not the first person to have pressure plate problems from ACT. Right. so uh one of my springs on my act pressure clutch i'll say that as much as possible uh decided to deuce out and broke rotated on its little rivet and uh, create a little, not, I wouldn't say carnage, but it was getting after a few things. So I'm pretty sure that's where the vibration was coming from. The fact that one of the springs is largely not there anymore and uh, doing all sort of weird, balancey, vibration-y things. I think for a few minutes, like inside the bell housing was sort of, like an inverse blender like you could have put food in there yeah and you could have chopped stuff very finely in those few moments before you quit yeah so that's something we need to think of for the future if we need to cut things up uh the failed clutch inverse blender thing yeah and it does have that little inspection plate on the side which is where the stock fork goes through right to release it, but is now an inspection plate. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you know, just cram all sorts of vegetables, fruit, and charcuterie. Make, salt, make salsa. Charcuterie like and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I like this idea. Delightful. <laughs> We're trying to make lemons out of lemonade here. Sure. Sure. So, um, so I've got a few things on the way. We're going to see if it's, if I can't get it ready for Road America. Yeah, but it's it's been a week, and I'm tired, emotionally tired. That will, that will happen. Yeah, that uh, that will happen. So we should talk about something. Uh, if you're emotionally tired, we should get emotionally deep and just wear you the rest of the way out because it's Monday. I'll just fall asleep. That's that's my that's <laughs> that is 100 percent my coping mechanism. Is you know what? Hey, this is this that's great. I'm gonna go sleep for like 12 hours now. Don't worry. I never get that much sleep. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so today we were tossing ideas back and forth and it's almost like we were negotiating. You throw out an idea, I throw out an idea, you throw out another idea. And that's kind of how we know that like if we're vibing on a particular topic, then we'll both like latch on to one of them be like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. We, we went back that. and forth like four or five times today. <laughs> Just, nothing, nothing was working, but we did talk about, um, what's can be known as a dependent, um, uh, the dependent phases in life. 
And there are three basic stages of dependency. You start out dependent, move towards independence, and have the possibility of going to interdependence. And these are three... And and the, the whole thing about dependence is it's not just about you. It is about how you relate to the people around you. Your family, your friends, your community, kind of all of that. And where you start is when you're born, you can do nothing for yourself. <laughs> Quite. Quite, quite literally, you are 100% dependent on your caregivers. You can't eat on your own. You can't stay warm on your own, stay cool on your own. You can't get your own food. You can't clean your... You, you, nothing. There is not one thing you can do that will help you stay alive and thrive. Yeah, humans are pretty underdeveloped when we're born useless yeah useless sometimes cute blobs mine were cute obviously sure to me to me says (laughs) says the father (laughs) (laughs) um but at this stage like you your existence your ability to live and thrive is wholly dependent on the grace and good nature of those around you. Period. Arguably the arguably the ability of those around you too, but that gets into another That's de- fair. big developmental debate and yeah, things we could talk about with elementary school kids and stuff. Totally fair. And so there's there's quite a bit of gray area and fluidity between one to another. It's not just like you wake up one day and bam, I'm independent. I'm going to do it on my own. Uh, it's not quite how it works. Uh, usually it's a great big slippery slope from one to another. And this starts to happen pretty early. You know, Kids want to start walking on their own, moving around on their own, starting to try to pick out what they want to wear, what they want to eat. But this kind of continues, and soon they can feed themselves, they can clothe themselves, they can earn their own money at some really? point. <laughs> Waiting for that. <laughs> Do your kids listen to this? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but at some point, there is a desire and not just the ability to be independent, but there's the desire to want to, in some ways, sever those ties of right. dependency. Um, oftentimes it is because I want to prove what I can do, that you no longer want to be identified or known by the people around you, by the people who help take care of you, that you want to do it on your own. Now, there's some significant problems with that, and I will get into why I think they're actually doing the exact same thing. But independence is essentially wanting to say that I can do life. I can do whatever this is on my own with no help. 
And I don't know. What's your experience of independence? Either your own or... Um, with, you know, most of it has to do with me or my kids because that's what I'm most uh, familiar with. Um, I feel like for me and for my kids so far, independence has required uh, distance. Mm. Um, you're, you're, I never felt like I was going to be independent unless I was a long way away. Um, in my case, I was about, you know, 10 hours away from home and that was felt like sufficient distance. And I will say of my two children who would be independent right now, one of them lives exactly a thousand miles away. And one of them lives in my garage. And my perception of their independence is starkly different. Yeah, that seems right. (laughs) Seems right. Yeah, independence. Well, let's let's keep going with the overview, and then maybe we can dig into each one of these a little bit more. Now, I'm trying to figure if we're doing a car show. Like, we'll we'll get there. All right. Okay. We'll get there. Hold hold my hand. Take me there. (laughs) And I want it to be known that there is there are certain situations and people who don't ever move beyond dependency. And some of that is um, a special ability that they may have, uh, physical attributes, mental, emotional attributes, something like that, um, that just, they just have to remain dependent throughout their life. And much different but still for similar reasons some people never move beyond independence the third step that can take place if people want to is interdependence and what i believe to be probably the most difficult of the three the one that requires the most amount of work and effort Interdependence is the kind of relationship that you have with others that is a sharing, a mutual sharing of two people or of a group and a person, something like that. So no longer do you not need anything, supposedly, from the people around you, but that you come to a group or community or another person kind of knowing what you have to offer this is my independence and you freely offer that and the other people or person or community freely offers what they have to offer and it's a sharing of ideas of talents of skills things that you can offer each other and that are we, is are we all valid. becoming hippies? I feel like we're all becoming hippies right now. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We can talk right. about, we can talk about boundaries on another one. <laughs> okay. Because that's a super big topic. So <laughs> yeah. What's your experience of interdependence, Ben? 
uh, anywhere from like being a really crappy roommate, which I probably was a crappy roommate. Um, I could have been better um, because, you know, when you're the thing is, you start being a roommate when you're like 19 or 20 years old, when you're kind of a crappy human anyway. You know, your wife has a name, right? No, I was I was not my <laughs> wife's roommate until um, probably I was a better human. She would she she knew she knew all the people I lived with in college and hung out. So she will agree that that uh, at least some of my roommates were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what's wrong with him?" And and we could go into that. Um, and then of course, you know the 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 really the only other good step with that is is living with uh, with my wife and hopefully. I think I've gotten better at being interdependent through time. Um, hopefully most people do, right? I mean, that's like a normal, a normal healthy relationship type thing would be like, as it goes on, you uh, learn to, to lean on each other's strengths a little bit more. Um, and so you stop fighting those uh, some of it's like you you stop like butting your head up against you know i want to be better at this and the other person's actually better at that and so you you let your ego collapse a little bit and you go cool well i'll be better at this then and and so you 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 sort of sort that team thing out it's a little bit like when you get any sort of sports team like when you started playing t-ball as a kid um i assume since you grew up in the midwest you played t-ball you didn't play t-ball no how did how did you not play t-ball I I wasn't involved in many group sports. Dude, we need to have a talk about that. Okay, yeah. let's imagine Scott can can relate to the rest of the humans who grew up in the Midwest and play T-ball. And so you show up that first time and like everybody like in their mind at least everybody like wants to be the pitcher, right? You want to be that. Sure. And and I think and, and then you figure out, you know, one kid or a couple of kids are way better than that. So everybody's, hopefully everybody's abilities and talents sort themselves out. Like, uh, I may be better at catching. I may be better at whatever. I may be the, the kid who stands in the outfield, uh, left field where nobody ever hits the ball. Um, that was my job. Um, I was good at it. Um, to, 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 to field the position that was not necessary. So that was my thing. Okay. Um, and like, I think everybody comes into, everybody comes into a relationship or a marriage or like you show up at your first track day to help or any of that thing. And you kind of want to be the most best importantest job thing. Like, you know, very few people come into a relationship being like, I'm going to be the one who cleans the toilet because I'm good at that. Yo, like, you know, your, your thought, especially as a dude, when you come into relationships is a lot of like, I'm going to provide, I'm going to be, I'm going to mow the crap out of our lawn. I'm going to like do man stuff in my relationship because I'm a man and, and you do those things. And then you figure out, you know, later on that, that uh, in the relationship, you're actually like super good at, at, you know, cooking and um, cleaning the toilet and changing diapers and mowing the lawn. And, you know, you, you sort those things out through time. There's a bunch of things you didn't know going into it. Um, and that's my experience with interdependence. 
because I think my relationship works. My wife does listen to the show, so I may hear about this later. You most definitely will. Hey, uh, go, go talk to Seth. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him to clean He's, the toilets. I do. Every Friday now. Like, I'm, a, like I'm, I'm good at that. Yeah. Lysol, but, uh, Lysol power. That's where it's at. Just saying. Yeah, the, I like the I like the gel toilet cleaner. Which is pretty good. Okay, um, that's, that's my jam. <laughs> we could totally go into bathroom products right now. Weird stuff, but uh, but yeah, that that's that's my experience with it. Is that uh, like good healthy interdependence requires people to change through time, um, and acknowledge their shortcomings and acknowledge other people's. Uh, what other people are good at because if you spend the whole time butting your head against, you know, I think I should be the one who's better at this um, rather than looking at the evidence, you're going to have a bad time. And I think that's not just relationships, but like any organization you're part of, Um, you know, if if you want to be, I want to be the safety guy in this organization, but I don't really pay attention because I'm too busy being social. Maybe I shouldn't be the safety guy. Seems fair. There's, um, and it's part of the hero's journey as well. That when the hero, part of the hero's journey is that you have to leave your home. You have to leave your place where everything is largely known. The people are maybe supportive, but you at least know them. You know the place. It's comfortable. Whether you like it or not, it's kind of unimportant but the hero has to leave has to go on the journey has to go prove themselves on some level but the end of the hero's journey is always a return to the place where you start and that's an important one and there's a pastor i used to listen to a lot used to talk about the river when you first look at the river, it's a, it's a normal river. And then you leave, you come back, and the river's changed. But it's not the river that's changed, it's you. And the reason why I bring this up is because... I, this is, you're looking at me weird, and I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yeah. Is that independence, you are largely looking at yourself through the eyes, expectations, and experiences of the people who take care of you. Is your identity is largely formed on the people around you and how they look at you, your potential, what you can do, what you can't do, all of that. And independence is a stretch, part, an important part of development to where... You have to sever some ties, not hard sever, but you have to draw some pretty clear boundaries, either by distance, by communication, occupation, whatever whatever it's going to be. But you have to then find out how you look at yourself. And this oftentimes means thinking higher of yourself than maybe you should because you're trying to figure yourself out. That might mean criticizing yourself constantly because that's what how you 
are trying that on. You're trying to figure out what do I think of myself. And this often gets masked as uh, being prideful or, you know, cocky. You know, the the capital E ego really floating around and wanting to have your identity as the things that are not around you. So it's like one of the one of the easiest moves in any high school, and I say this because I was a high school English teacher for a while, is to talk about music. One of the ways that you find your identity is by having a very specific set of music that you like and that you can disagree with your friends on. And it's less about what kind of music you like and more about the fact that you disagree with the people around you that you aren't like those people, that you don't like the same thing as that guy, that you have a different taste and a different style than than her. It's very anti-identity. I was literally just thinking about this in reference to Harley Davidson's today <laughs> when, I was, when I was driving down the road. But we can talk about that later. Like, like you are spelling out in words. I was watching a dude on a Harley, and I was like, like he joined the club, like all in, like he was, you know, Harley wallet, oh, yeah. Harley t-shirt, Harley everything. And I was like, you can just like buy into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. And, and oftentimes a great way to try on identities to try to figure out what you do think about yourself and the things that you like and want to do is you see the things other people like around you and you get to say, no, I don't want to do that. Because largely, like we said, dependence, that's that's what you've been raised on. This is getting super in the weeds. We're, we're getting to race cars, I promise. Um, so you, you basically, you, you have to start some a lot of times, and any parents or anybody who was ever a teenager should get this, is a big important part is from moving from dependence to enter to independence is just saying, no, I'm not like those people. I don't think the same things. I don't like the same things because that gets you hopefully, hopefully not necessarily because we all know those 40 year olds who still just oftentimes just always say no to things. Um, But the healthier form of independence is simply saying, I like this. I like that. And not because people don't, but that is what I like. And that very easily, but with a lot of effort, can lead into interdependence. And this is where two independent, healthy, independent people who kind of know what they're about, know what they like, what they enjoy, can come together as healthy individuals and have a relationship. Or a community can do that as well. And this is where it comes to race cars for me. Or cars in general, I guess. Because when you start with a car, you... I mean, cars are not like walking. Like, you have to be taught how to drive a car. Right. You have to take a class. You have to get on a lawnmower. You have to take out grandpa's truck on the farm. 
Uh, you've got to get Hot Wheels when you're a kid, like the little electric cars. Like you've got to have experience. You can't just get in a car and be like, oh, yeah, I definitely know what this pedal in the middle does. And I'm assuming that the car has three pedals, which obviously most likely they don't. <laughs> Statistically speaking. My 15-year-old is learning to drive on a manual. She insists. Well, it's going to be a... No, she's doing good. We're doing parking lot stuff now, which is the hardest thing to do with a manual, yeah. right? Like like getting in and out of the parking lot. But we totally going to derail where you are. Nope. We went out on the road for the first time on uh, Sunday afternoon. So we did a loop around the the training block that we do stuff on. So uh, How many times did she, she kill it? She has installed it since the second time. We've probably done four or five times, but no, she doesn't install it anymore. Okay. It's pretty so. solid. And so, yeah, when, when you come to cars, you just, you, you don't know anything. Like you have to, even the fact that you have a car, you didn't buy that car or at least somebody paid you to go buy the car. Like you're, you're, you're an infant in cars basically. Right. Now, eventually you, you learn how to turn left, how to turn right, where the brake accelerator, uh, park reverses, all that stuff. And maybe you learn how to work on the car a little bit, but again, where do you start? other people like i mean i started with the forums which apparently are a dying fossil of a breed out there yeah no everybody just just you, uh YouTube's youtube things yep yeah youtube or uh facebook groups but um yeah largely weird it's <laughs> strange i learned from paper manuals and the crusty dude behind the counter at the parts store that's how you do it almost sounds creepy but it, it probably was <laughs> So your first time with a car at a, an event, autocross, I assume. My first one was actually a rally cross. Um, I did mm. one rally cross and then the program ended. Um, so, so you killed it is what? what uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. That's fair. Um, I mean, how much did you know? When you showed up, nothing like, like, like I was, I was happy and excited and knew nothing. Um, I was bad at driving. Um, wasn't really sure what the event was about. I just knew that it was as close to driving rally cars as I could get. And so I wanted to do that. Nice. I still want to do more of that. I think it'd be fun. It is fun. Um, yeah. And it's, I, don't even have to belabor the point. I think all y'all can probably see where we're getting at, but you, you start by learning from people and what I would, I think what we would certainly hope for is that when you go to a paddock, that paddock is welcoming and knowledgeable to, and helpful enough that they would actually be willing to help you, um, improve either your car control perception skills or if you broke something maybe they lend some tools and some some hands to actually help you through uh, but when we start we're pretty pretty reliant upon the people around us 
but there's certainly more of a dependence than uh, any others. So along those lines, I want to I want to ask you: Did you did your son ever want to put his own socks on? Yes. Do you remember that? Do you, do. do you remember? Did Did you get to like the screaming frustration phase of of wanting to put his own socks on? Yeah, yeah, he kind of did the squeal, squeal and squirm thing. Yeah, yeah no, I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, because I see, <laughs> I see people do that at autocross. Mm-hmm. Tell me, like, they're just there's they're trying to do something that they don't quite know how to do. But instead of letting someone help them, they insist on doing it badly and getting very frustrated and, you know, almost laying on the ground and throwing a temper tantrum because they can't do it. Yeah. And, and as an instructor, that's like super frustrating to be like, dude, if you, if you let somebody ride along with you, I can show you how to not DNF four out of five runs every time you do this. And they don't want to. And a lot of people will swear up and down that they learn better by themselves or that they learn better on their <laughs> own. Um, I'm going to be controversial and say that I think that's largely bullshit. I think there are people that can believe that only because they have not participated in a good productive learning environment. Yeah, I'd agree with um, that. So I think they're wrong, but they don't have the experience to know they're wrong yet. Yeah. That they've they've come to that realization based on some pretty bad experiences from trying to learn from people in the past. Right. Yep. And as instructors, coaches here um, a good instructor can make all the difference. But what it takes is, and this is where our authority topic would come in, is it takes a person who comes in to get instructed to come into it wanting to learn something. If somebody simply comes into a track weekend where they're assigned an instructor and they don't want to learn from the instructor. Like it's just not going to work. The instructor can say largely whatever they want to. And if that person just simply wants to keep banging their head against a wall, keep doing the same thing over and over, which we've seen, um, they don't have to, there has to be a willingness, um, to learn and to admit that you don't know it all. There needs to be, uh, there also needs to be uh, a meshing of, I want to say personality types because that's not quite it, but, but there's like learning types and teaching types and those need to yep. be, those need to overlap to a degree that things are effective. I, I watched a, a really good friend of mine go to a, a NASA weekend uh, first or second NASA weekend and the instructor he got, <laughs> he got out of the car and he's like, that dude's a raging a-hole. 
And, and he really wanted to learn, but the way that instructor taught was basically by yelling at you about doing things wrong. And there are students who had him that like, that were just fine. They were like, that's what I need. I need somebody to forcefully go, that was wrong, do it different. We should and talk they responded about their to childhoods that. at some point. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, but my buddy was not one of those people. It really took him out of the moment and, um, you know, made him feel like he wanted to learn, but, but he wasn't going to learn from that guy. We should definitely, we definitely need to talk about learning styles at some point. Yeah. Write that down. Did you write that down? It's in my head. I, I want right. to do a, I want to do a group podcast with that, but that's going to take some, some effort, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at, at some point, like you learn enough to be able to get by on any given track weekend, you can largely fix whatever you need to fix. You can get there and back on your own. You can pay for your own parts. You can pay for your food, tent camp, you know, what, whatever like you can come and go on your own and be just fine and i would largely say that this is sometimes what happens when people get into a rut or a hit a plateau in their driving as well is when you stop seeking outside help now we talked about this in dependence where your sense of identity comes from the people around you. And then independence is where you try to figure out who you are, what who you think you are. And interdependence goes back to where you started. That you have this identity of yourself that is also informed by the people around you special people to you, community, loved ones, things like that. So you you come back to it, but in a very different place. And this is kind of where the driving also comes in. It's because when you're dependent, you are you rely on everybody around you to kind of fill you in, help get you up to speed, um, teach you what you need to know. And then your independence is like, all right, what do I want to, how do I want to do this, this racing thing? Do I want to get sponsors? Do I? So people just stay in intermediate for years. It could be. Sometimes. Could be. Yeah. Um, Especially with um, kind of more strict hierarchies like NASA. um, Right. Where if you don't, you know, if you don't get the the check mark next to it, like that's just where you're going to be. And I do think there are some very talented independent drivers out there. Um, But where I see the real stars and the real talent is where the people have, or the person has found out how they want to do race cars. They want to be person who goes out gets sponsorship um has a goal in mind wants to run imsa uh wants to run endurance racing wrl something like that and that is what they want to do but they also at the same time realize that they still need help 
and that they can't do everything on their own. And that, I think, is where either good, healthy teams can be formed or at least a good community can come around it. And that's that's some of what I really appreciate about grid life on any given track weekend is during the driver's meeting, it's like, if you've got this kind of car, like we have 15 people who know how to fix anything on that car that could possibly go wrong. We have 20 instructors on site who can help you along. We've got coaching for hire if you're farther along and really want some good review. Um, but that's where the your own sense of what you're good at. You have to know what you're good at and what you want to be good at. And then you fill in the gaps with the people around you. So my question to you, Seth, you, Seth, would be with, let's say motorcycles, because that's basically your life right now. Right, yeah, it is. What are you good at, and what do you largely try to let other people help with? I'll say this year in endurance racing, I was good at getting bikes ready and I let everybody else ride them. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I was, I I think, I think in, in motorcycles, like in cars, um, like in anything I've done, um, rock climbing, skiing, like all the stuff that I've done, bicycling, my wife could list all the hobbies (laughs) that she's put up with. Um, I I get to a point where going further is really hard and listening to you talk about this, a lot of that may be better phrased as going further by myself is really hard. And, um, I seldom develop the, the, the structure, um, the team structure, the, the, whatever structure would be that would, that would get me, get me further if you will, but, but just to, to go farther, like, like, you know, that you can only get so far in amateur road racing as like a dude who fixes his own car in the garage and loads and unloads his car and checks his own tire temps. And, um, I'm right here, Seth. I'm literally sitting in front of you. Except you have, you, you do have people helping you and, and arguably have like, like basically the whole way along to a greater or lesser extent. Um, but you're not like one dude isn't going to show up and race IMSA. Um, it just, it isn't and to, to bring it to like the logical extreme, right? Like, like one guy can go autocrossing a guy who, who prepped his car in his garage can probably, it certainly can win a national championship in autocross. Sure. Um, and I don't want to say autocross is like the lowest form of auto competition, but, but as far as barriers to entry and that sort of yeah. thing, it's the, the barriers are super low. So if you're one dude, you can probably have your car and your garage and your trailer if needed and, and work really hard in a club level setting and get yourself to, to at least to like a national trophy type position. Um, I don't care who you are. You're not going to show up and, and be on the second row of IMSA by yourself. Like it's just, 
it's not possible. And not even from a money standpoint, like if you've got $50 million in the bank and you just want to spend money to buy the bits and pieces, you, you can't, one person can't be doing the things necessary in, in a track weekend to, or in a, in a, in a professional track weekend to get themselves there, get the car there, get, you know, set up, done, get qualifying, do all those things you, you can't. Um, and somewhere in between uh, being serious about autocross and racing at the pro levels where everybody else is. And I think those of us who we like to see ourselves as independent, um, like I, I like to work on the bikes, you know, I, to the point where I change my, you know, I change my own tires. I do all that stuff. And, um, you know, which almost no car guys do unless you have a tire machine, like nobody spoons tires on and off. That's just an accepted thing. But in, in the bike world, that's like, I've got tire irons and I change my own tires and, and I load my own bikes and I do all these things. And going farther than that is, or developing a larger structure than that is something I'm not terribly comfortable with. Um, like gathering a group of people with the intention of doing anything more than just dinking around and having fun, you know, amateur racing or or like the, the endurance racing we do, which is, it's a team, but not in the same way that, that we're all working with each other to accomplish a task. It's more like, uh, one dude can't ride the bike the whole time. So we do that. Um, but I'm uncomfortable trying to put together or participate in a group that would actually go farther in, in more pro racing or farther up the ladder or whatever you want to do where, where more people are necessary. I just don't feel like I want to, or don't feel like I can, or I'm going to have to analyze myself here and like stay awake in bed, not sleeping, thinking about this tonight. So thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, um, um, I'll be I'll be sleeping to avoid those thoughts. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what's you know the things I feel like I am good at is I feel like I'm getting better with the driving aspect for sure. Uh, that's certainly one thing I enjoy. I enjoy uh, tinkering. Um, pretty good with suspension. Pretty good with uh, brakes, uh, pretty good with, you know, kind of nut and bolt stuff. I'm not a particularly good mechanic. Um, certainly not with diagnosing. I am a crap electrician, (laughs) uh, anything with wires and things like that. I am junk at utterly and completely. Um, I don't change my own tires. Uh, their arrow is something I wholeheartedly have to rely upon, (laughs) um, people who know more than I do. There are even tires, you know, the ability to come into hot pits and get proper pyrometer readings. Like I can't do that. I have to have somebody else. Um, and just bandwidth wise, money wise, I mean, you know, instruction helps, helps us go to as many events as we do because money, you know? Right. So there are certainly the things I'd like to think that we can bring 
to the community that I think we're good at. You know, we talked about one last week with the whole, you know, tire data aspect. Um, try to help the community um, be healthy as much as possible. Try to try to keep good attitudes when as much as possible. Um, you know, just that's a daily struggle. Um, but otherwise, like there is a ton of things that we just can't do or just aren't terribly good at that we have to rely on other people and that's good because i just thought of what i just thought of what i'm good at what are you good at just figured out i'm good at uh organizing i was gonna say check tools tools and spares and like day of the event organization like that's, that's become okay. my team role. I could show you the, I have a, a piece of foam that's all cut out that holds all the wrenches that you would need to completely strip and rebuild a bike. And the beauty of, of Honda motorcycles is it's eight, 10, 12, 14, 17, 19. Those are the only sizes on the bike. So like each wrench is laying there, like from bottom to top, it's got its own little spot. The sockets are laying next to the wrenches. Um, the ratchets are on the side. The two screwdrivers are neat are there. Safety wires here, you know, spare brake and clutch are there. That's that where, you know, so like yeah. I know where things are. Plus I brought the table. Plus I brought the chairs. Plus I have food. Um, my wife made brownies for the whole team. That's there. You know, I'm there when the gates open so I can get a good paddock spot. Um, so like that team structure part and I do this for both of the teams. I do this for the, the kids team and the, for lack of a better word, the grown up team, the old people team. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm doing that for both teams. Um, and, and what's weird is that's kind of the part, at least on a race weekend, I like, I get more satisfaction doing that well than I do riding well. Mm. Um, because if I ride poorly, which is that, I've been is that hard to year, say, or would there have no? Been, because I don't have a lot of have I don't have a lot of time when that was hard to say. Maybe, maybe. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm one of those guys who like I, I, when we went back to the t-ball thing. You know, I'm the dude in left field. Like I've always been athletically. I've always I've always played left outfield. I, I'm the, you know, I was the last guy picked for teams. I, you know, I remember running uh, junior high track and getting lapped by a girl, maybe, which maybe she's fast. as an adult. She, uh, yeah, I mean, she was clearly faster than me as an adult. You go, dude, that's fine. But as like a 13 year old, it doesn't feel that fine. Really? It. So I, I've never had, so a long time ago, I had uh, the ego beat out of me as far as like physical endeavors. Um, and so I've learned to just enjoy them for what they are. Um, but we've certainly talked about on the show where I feel like I fail as a team organizer on a given day. Um, and that hits me hard. Like if I do bad at that, I feel really, really bad. If I go out and ride and I'm the slowest guy in the team by two seconds a lap, man, whatever. I'm slow. I'm not good at that track, whatever. That, that actually doesn't bother me that much. 
Um, but they were do sprint races. Like I'm, I'm a grid filler. A lot of classes. I'm a grid filler. I'm back there. Um, I will definitely be sixth of seven and, uh, I'm there to make it look like there's, there's more than three people racing, even though there's really only three people racing. Um, but, but you helped win a trophy. I did help. I helped win several trophies this year. Yeah. But, but if I don't do the organization right and I don't do the spares right and I don't do the tools right, then I will, I feel like I'll be responsible for not winning the trophy because I don't allow people to, um, those people that count on me to perform their best. I'm much more worried about other people um, being able to do what they want to do rather than me doing well for myself. So that's, that would kind of be the, the question to all you listeners would be, what are you good at? And can you actually say what you're good at? Whether it's, you know, in your job with your family or friends with race cars, what are you good at? And what do you enjoy not just like, what are you good at? But like, what do you enjoy? What brings you meaning? Like Seth was just talking about. And then the second part of that is what don't you enjoy? What aren't you very good at? And where do you need help filling in the gaps? And how good are you at accepting that help? <laughs> yeah, where can you give up yeah. uh, your your independence and become interdependent? Um, because learning to be interdependent, um, in, in my case, learning to be the member of the team that needs other fast people. Like if we're going to win a championship, I need people better than me on the motorcycle. The same as I have a couple of my friends who hopefully don't listen to the show where crap mechanics <laughs> and definitely should not be preparing the bike. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we need to be, to, to be comfortable being interdependent um, such that we can all be better than we would be if we weren't. Um, yes. If we were just people who, sh- who, who everybody showed up singularly one guy, one, one gal in the front seat of a truck towing a trailer with their car or motorcycle on the back to do their one thing during that day, um, the whole level of the field would be lower. Well, it's, it's important to remember that you can, you can be who you are. You can be independent. And in interdependence, you don't lose that. Right. You remain independent. But the interdependence means that you are also at the same time allowing space for other people. I think that's probably the most succinct way I can put interdependence. Is that it is independence that makes allows space and room for others. I'll have to think on that. There you go. Think on that at Track Walking <laughs> Podcast, Facebook and Instagram, Track Walking Chats on Facebook. I literally these words just spill out of my mouth. I don't even have to That's think about it. It's delightful. Um, yeah, and we will will be around uh, for next week as well. So, uh, for the two of us, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And this is Track Walking. We'll talk to you next week. Next week. week.